but we need to call this for what it is. Um, you know, the, the, this is this is street politics. These are these are this is the illicit market. We have we have a gang culture in our city, and we as a city council cannot make excuses for gun violence. Show, folks. You're listening to KLBP Long Beach Public Radio. My name is Kevin Flores, editor at Forth.org, and this is City Council Meeting Notes, bringing you a recap of what went down at the Long Beach City Council meeting each week. We'll talk about the decisions, the stakes, and the occasional drama. Before Tuesday's regular meeting, the council held a study session to dig into all things COVID-19. Recently, the city has seen coronavirus cases and deaths trending down since their peak in mid-January, providing some hope that things have begun to turn a corner. Since the peak, the rate of positive tests has dropped from about 17 to 10 percent, and deaths have gone from an average of 11 a day to 5 a day. Hospitalizations are also down, but ICUs and ERs remain impacted. Meanwhile, the city is engaged in a massive effort to vaccinate residents. According to the health department, 44,299 doses have been administered to residents as of February 2nd. And with misinformation and conspiracy theories causing fear and anxiety about the vaccine for some, Long Beach's health officer, Dr. Nisa Davis, took some time on Tuesday to talk about how the vaccine works. Let's take a listen. So to go into a little bit about the vaccine, um, our current authorized vaccines that we have are uh, both mRNA vaccines, so Pfizer and Moderna. And an mRNA vaccine is made up of a small piece of genetic material. And this genetic material is really the instructions for how to make the spike protein of the virus itself. Um, And it's only, the vaccine is only comprised of the instructions of making the spike protein, not of the entire virus. And so uh, it is, completely harmless to you. Davis also pointed out that allergic reactions to the vaccines are exceedingly rare, with a rate of about one occurrence per million shots. And while studies have shown that the vaccines are very effective at providing immunity, she said it's still unknown how long that immunity lasts or if it prevents asymptomatic transmission of the virus, meaning masks and social distancing will probably be required for the foreseeable future. Kelly Kalapi, the director of the city's Health and Human Services Department, pointed out that there have been some disparities in which communities have received the vaccine so far. Let's hear what she had to say about that. If you compare um, the zip code, the case rate uh, within a zip code compared to the vaccination rate, uh, we have some work to do to be able to really focus in on the zip codes that are most impacted uh, by COVID-19. There is a, so there is, there is a mismatch there, and we are aware of that, and we're working to address that through our equity work. Mayor Robert Garcia attributed at least some of that disparity to the fact that the 65 and older population, which has received most of the vaccine so far, is predominantly white, and a lot of them live on the east side of town. However, that may not be the full story. Laura Som, the executive director of the May Center, phoned in during public comment to say that Cambodians in the city are often undercounted and that the city needs to do more to reach out to that community. 
Here's what she said. I just want to share a couple of things that our community is struggling with. The Cambodian community, first of all, has been undercount by the census. And uh, furthermore, we have experienced a genocide that led to pre-existing health conditions and little to no education because during the genocide, they kill off educated people. Our community is struggling a lot with little to no funding support right now. For example, our Cambodian doctor's clinics don't have the vaccine. Our largest clinic, the federally qualified health clinic, which is called Community Medical Wellness Center, don't have the vaccine. Our uh, Khmer TV, which is one of the media that most seniors use, don't have any funding, any material uh, to educate the public. And from the data that was broken down, it says that the vaccine that has been delivered to Asians is 20%, but it doesn't break down to how many are Cambodians who are getting the vaccine. Health department officials said they are working on integrating more language access around the vaccine rollout, along with cultivating partnerships with community groups to better provide education about the vaccine to those communities most impacted by the coronavirus. And after the break, we'll dive into the council's regular agenda. You're listening to KLBP 99.1, Long Beach Public Radio. I don't want to wait for it to come from the palm of your hand. Every night I fade to be pulled in by the charm of a man. Fall into a pool. Wishing I soon 
I'm Kevin Flotis, editor at Fort.org, and you're listening to City Council Meeting Notes on KLBP 99.1. With the city seeing an uptick in crime since the pandemic, especially when it comes to shootings, the council asked the police department to compile a report on crime trends and come up with a plan of action. The item was brought to the floor by 1st District Councilmember Mary Zendejas and 2nd District Councilmember Cindy Allen, a former police officer. Here's what Councilmember Zendejas had to say. I know we have lost a lot of officers um, and our public safety is at risk, um, you know, for our residents in the 1st District. And I know that, you know, we need more uh, more public safety in, in the 1st District. And I know that that's something that is very important to my residents. One of the things that, you know, that really upsets me is that every weekend I, or even, it doesn't have to be during the weekend, you know, I have to be with my fingers crossed hoping that we don't have a shooting that weekend. We should not live like that. You know, that's not quality of life. We, um, we as leaders um, have the responsibility to create safety for our residents, safety for our children. Right now, during this city council meeting, we got a council notification that a 16-year-old young male was shot. Another shooting while we're in our city council meeting. Police stats show that the second half of 2020 saw a significant increase in gun violence, with over 50 shootings in both October and December. Here's 8th District Councilmember Al Austin. It's, I mean, whatever it takes right now to to suppress the strategy of the crime that's happening right now, uh, we we have to do it. This 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 is this is a this is a problem. We have not had crime uh, a crime spree. We have not had violent crime like this in our city in many, many years. Council members expressed both frustration and sadness with the amount of violence that's been occurring, especially in the Washington and Wilmer neighborhoods. And crime, as we all know, is an issue that can easily make or break a re-election bid. So perhaps that's why the tone of the council toward the police on Tuesday suddenly became more deferential compared to last year, following the Black Lives Matter protests when there was more talk about moving resources away from the police department and into distressed communities. 9th District Councilmember Rex Richardson seemed to pick up on this shift and made it a point to distinguish between the city's long-term efforts at violence prevention versus crime suppression, something that the council seems to want more of right now. Violence prevention, it's a, it's a, long-term, it's a long-term strategy. It's the process of looking at the conditions that surround a community communities in common that have shootings and look at some of the factors. If are those communities, they have a lack of investment. They'll have a lack of programming, open space, opportunities for you, uh, you know, investments into education. Um, uh, and, and poverty um, is a lot of times the common thread uh, between these communities. So you, all, you need violence prevention within a public health lens to be coupled with investments into that into those communities, you also need crime suppression um, intervention um, by both uh, law enforcement and and community-based organizations that conduct um, intervention. So it's 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 really three-dimensional chess. What's happening? The council will now await LBPD Chief Robert Luna's report, which is due back within 30 days. Now, on paper, 
This next item seems like a pretty straightforward request from Councilmember Austin, but there's quite a backstory to explore here. The item brought forward by Councilmember Austin on Tuesday asked the city manager to look into acquiring additional land along the LA River to create more parks. It was unanimously approved by the council. So where did it come from? Well, it's likely a result of an ongoing battle over a riverfront development that's been brewing in Austin's district. Residents in the Los Cerritos neighborhood have banded together to oppose a three-story self-storage facility and RV parking lot currently proposed for a vacant plot along the river there. Instead, they want it to be turned into a park. The city has said that their hands are pretty much tied since it's a private lot, but that hasn't stopped the grassroots group calling themselves River Park Coalition from collecting signatures and putting pressure on Austin and the city to do more in terms of creating parks in the area. Let's listen to some of the public comments that came in during this item on Tuesday. Good evening, Mr. Mayor and Council Members. My name is Keith Tishber, and I'm a resident of the Los Cerritos neighborhood. I'm also a licensed architect in the state of California, certified by the National Council of Architectural Registration Boards, and a lead accredited professional. I'm here to voice my strong opposition to the 3701 development, and will say in my 30 years of practice, I've never been activated to categorize a development as reckless and irresponsible as this one, and equally short-sighted as the paving of the LA River. I believe that this project deserves the rigor of full EIR. Furthermore, the designation of a light industrial zoning central to a residential district, I think is negligent. The development's tepid response to its opposition by providing a publicly accessible green space, all with a front row view of an RV parking lot is not equal to or better than that of a parkland, which is the intent of the Riverlink plan. Our leaders of Long Beach have the responsibility to ensure that a development within the LA River watershed are ecologically responsible, promote the proliferation of natural flora and fauna, and benefit the future generations of the communities they serve. Feasibility plan, we also feel very strongly that we need to be at the table. I think we're all clear on what the challenges are. We're all clear on what the costs are. We've been part of planning for decades now, and it's just really time to act. So we've launched this grassroots process. Um, we want to come to you and especially to our council members who've worked so hard on this issue over the years that we're here. We're not going away. We're going to be partners in this. In Western Long Beach, we have the highest level of pollution in the nation, the most overcrowded conditions, a higher incidence of asthma and other respiratory diseases, higher incidence of cancer, higher rate of COVID, and even pre-COVID a shorter lifespan than the east side of Long Beach. The contributing factor to all of this is the lack of parks and open we have one park acre per 1,000 residents versus 17 in the eastern side of the city. Uh, even with the parks mentioned by the council members, uh, we are still woefully short. The city has long sought to create more green space along the river, which runs through the western and northern parts of Long Beach, communities that are especially park poor when compared to other parts of the city. While Austin didn't specifically mention the controversial development during Tuesday's meeting, as he's legally not allowed to take a position on it until it comes before the council, he did comment on the greater effort to create more parks along the river. I asked my colleagues for their support um, on, on this particular item. This is very, very important to uh, many in the community as uh, there's been a new, new uh, reinvigorated interest in the lower LA River in our city. Uh, and I think this merits uh, our attention, uh, but also the attention of, of um, our state legislators as well. 
The city manager is due to report back to the council within 60 days on what opportunities exist to turn more land along the river into parks. Meanwhile, the River Park Coalition has vowed to collect grant money for the purposes of revitalizing the banks of the LA River into green space for the community. And that's all the time we have this week, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Looking ahead to the Council's February 9th meeting, there'll be a report on the city's vision to provide more resources and support for local youth. And a reminder, the Council meets the first three Tuesdays of the month, and you can catch our program every Thursday at 11 a.m. on KLBP 99.1. You can also listen on demand at klbp.org or forth.org. That's F-O-R-T-H-E dot org. My name is Kevin Flores, editor at forth.org. Until next week, take care. Seas. Molly Mel